0: You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. If you will take your Bibles out or your devices out and turn to John chapter 15... We are going to conclude our Vacation Bible School weekend, which was all about friendship, with a message I titled Rediscovering Friendship. And the reason I titled it Rediscovering Friendship is because I believe that we rediscover the gospel when we rediscover friendship and what it means to be a friend of God. If I could say it a different way, I believe we rediscover the gospel of God's love through the lens of friendship with Jesus. In John 15... Jesus calls us friends, and it's an amazing statement that he makes, and it's actually something that we could take for granted, uh, especially as adults when you have a weekend where you say, I think this is an important concept for kids to grab hold of, but we could miss it all together if we aren't careful. When Jesus calls us friends, I believe he does so because he wants us to move to a confident place of believing something that's true of ourselves if we're in Jesus. If Jesus is our Lord, if he's our Savior, if we put our faith and trust in him, he wants us to confidently know something today in a deeper way, in a greater way. I believe he wants us to move from like a a slippery or a sandy confidence in his love through the lens of friendship to something that's rock solid if you've ever kind of walked along a really sandy beach and it's difficult to make that, make those steps. And then you step on something solid like a rock. I mean, the contrast is significant. You know, it's like the, the, the difference is only like a foot, but it makes a huge difference. And I believe the Lord wants to make a huge difference in our hearts to confidently know something and to confidently believe something about ourselves by believing this truth here today in John chapter 15. There's three truths that I believe he wants us to grab hold of is, in these six verses, in the first two verses, is that we are loved extravagantly. We are loved extravagantly. The second truth is that we are called exclusively. And the third truth is that we are sent purposefully. Loved extravagantly, called exclusively, sent purposefully. Purposefully, let's look at the first two verses of John in John chapter fifteen, verse twelve and verse thirteen. Here's what he says it's on the screen behind me: "This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends." Notice what he says: "I've loved you." If you've ever struggled. To believe that, you need to grab hold of the actual words that Jesus has said here. I have loved you. Notice, I have loved you as friends, verse 13 says. And he goes on to say, I can't show you greater love for you as my friend than for me to lay down my life for you. Now, isn't it wonderful that God is such a God that he wants us to know His love. And he wants us to see his love. And he desires to show his love in such a way that it's unmistakable. He says, Greater love uh, has no one than this. I can't show you greater love than what I'm about to do at the cross. He is eager for us to see it. And he is eager to show it. This is literally what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 5. I have this on the screen behind us as well. In Romans 5, Paul labors to the Roman church to say this over and over again. It's just an echo of what Jesus has said over and over again to his disciples. He says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now that word reconciled is underlined Uh, On the screen, it's not underlined in your Bible, although I would encourage you to underline it. But it's underlined on the screen because it's such an important concept when we understand the cross and when we understand justification. Because what Jesus has just said is I'm laying down my life for you as a friend to connect you as a friend back to God. Reconciliation means a change from being separated as an enemy to becoming a close friend. It's a radical shift. It's a radical change. That's what reconciliation means. It means friendship when you were an enemy. And the way that happens is that we're justified. You see verse 9? Therefore, we have now been justified. How much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? And then goes on to talk about because we're reconciled. For we were enemies, but now we're reconciled. We're friends. We are reconciled. And then goes on to say, we've received reconciliation. He'll go on to say, in, in other places of the Bible, we've been given the ministry now of reconciliation. We've not been given the ministry of justification, but we've been given the ministry to join him in helping enemies of God become friends of God. Now, that's, those are important distinctions. Justification is a change from a legal standing with God. It means that we are forgiven, made righteous, declared so by God. Reconciliation is the warm language of relationship and friendship. It's, it's where, through justification, enemies become close friends. It's the same word that Paul uses when he says to two spouses who are legally married in 1 Corinthians 7 to get back together and be reconciled based on their, their legal standing, that they've already been legally married, so be reconciled. So you could you could say you know I'm a gospel-centered person because I believe that Jesus died for sinners, and you would be right in saying Jesus died for sinners, but it's incomplete. You could say, well, okay, fine, uh, Jesus died and rose for sinners, and you'd be right, but it would be incomplete. You could say, well, now Jesus died and rose for sinners so that we could be forgiven of our sins, and you would be right, and still incomplete. Because Jesus died and rose for sinners so that we could be forgiven to bring us back into a relationship of love with God and life through the Spirit. And we need all of that if we, you know, want to grab hold of the idea that we are a gospel people, gospel-centered people. Because we've got to grab hold of friendship and reconciliation with God. Last year we, uh, as a pastoral team, read through a book called Made for Friendship by Drew Hunter. And uh, I mean, a couple quotes I'm going to use in today's message comes from that book. Here's the first one. He says this. He says, the cross shows us how bad we are. We deserve that. But it also shows us just how much God loves us. This is the truth at the center of the universe. God wanted us To become his friends more than he wanted his son to avoid hell. Now he's talking about the hell of the cross there. More than he wanted his son to avoid the cross. The central message of the New Testament is reconciliation through justification because of substitution. God made us his friends, reconciliation, by not counting our sins against us, justification, because Jesus died for us, substitution. God saves us to befriend us. Christians love the truth of our justification in Christ, but we treasure this because it brings us to God. And it's not that God has justified us, so now he's stuck with us. Our friendship is his idea. He decisively justifies us because he decidedly wants us. As Puritan Walter Marshall put it, justification is God's way of taking you into friendship with himself. That's what reconciliation means. It's being brought back into relationship with God, friendship with God. There is no other world religion that offers anything close. To that concept. It is uniquely Christian because it is the gospel. And Jesus told stories over and over again to stretch our imagination on this. And I want to invite you to stretch your imagination like he stretched his disciples' imagination in Luke when he told. These stories over. He told the same story like three times, and he said it. Stacked these stories on top of each other because it take, That's what it takes for us. It takes like multiple stories. We're dense. It's difficult for us to grasp, and so he he does this. He says, "Okay, imagine it like this. Imagine reconciliation like this. You know, a shepherd leaves the ninety nine in the open country, goes after the one who's lost until he finds it, and when he finds it, he lays it on its shoulder and he rejoices." And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. And he says, rejoice, I found my sheep that was lost. And he says, just so I tell you there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents over the 99 people who don't think they need any repentance. He says, it's like that. That's what reconciliation is like. And with them just kind of listening, he says, okay, let me give you another story. It's like this. A person loses a coin. Modern-day translation, loses a Bitcoin. Can't find it. Don't, don't know how to access it. Does not the person light a lamp and sweep the house and seek it until she diligently finds it? The only, the only thing I have close to this is when one of my kids says, I've, I can't find my phone, Dad. I'm like, sweep the house. It's somewhere in the house. I can't find my beats. Sweep the house. We're finding those little expensive things. They're here somewhere. Well, he says, she sweeps the house. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me. I found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he says, okay, you got that in your head? Let me tell you another story. Let me give you another one. Same idea, Another story. He says, uh, imagine, you know, a son comes to a father and he says, Father, give me the share of all the property that's coming to me when you die and we'll separate the relationship right now and I'll go my way. And the father does it. He divides the property between them. And not many days later, uh, the son gathered all he had Took a journey into a far country and squandered his property, it says, Jesus says, in reckless living. You know the story? It's the prodigal son. That's what reckless means. It means extravagant. It's the prodigal expression of everything that he should not have done with what the father gave. He spends everything. There's a severe famine that arises in the country. He gets in need. He hires himself out. Uh, as a slave to these people, he gets so hungry. He's being, he's able, he's longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. The money ran out for him and the money always runs out. And uh, we're told Jesus says he came to himself. And when he did, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? And I'm about to die here of hunger. He says, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna rise to my father, and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I've lost the status of a son. So just treat me as a servant. That's, that, I'm okay with being a servant. Maybe he'll take me back. Jesus says, then he arose and he came to his father. But then it says, But while he was still a long way off, the picture is the father is looking out way past the hills, waiting every single day for the son to come. Home. What's he waiting for? What's he waiting to do when the son does come home? He says, When the father saw him, he felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The most undignified thing a father could do in that day was to just like run and then grab hold and embrace and kiss the son. And Jesus says, Then the son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What are you doing? But the father says, Stop. Quickly get the best robe for him. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hands and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. Here's why he says it For my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. He says, They begin to celebrate. Jesus says, They begin to celebrate. They have a party. They start to, they start to have a good time, and the music starts to get loud. And then the older son tries to turn the volume down and says, "Now wait a second. Uh, I, I, I I don't understand all of this. Why all the festivities?" And, and the father rebukes him and says, "I've always been with you, and you've always been with me. You may not have re- recognized that I've always been here, but all that I have." is mine, is yours. It always has been, but it's fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive and he was lost and he's found. The party's not gonna stop. Uh, The music's not gonna get turned down at all. And that's how Jesus says God loves us. That's what reconciliation with God means. It means he's a shepherd that goes after us and carries us home on his shoulders rejoicing. He's a person relentlessly, stubbornly, pursuing us until he's found what's been lost. He's a father restlessly waiting for us to come home to him. And when we come home, he doesn't react the way we react. He's not the shepherd that says, I told you not to wander off. Didn't I say that? He's not the parent that says, I told you your beats were in the house. He's not the father that says, I knew you'd be back. Let me pull you aside. See, I knew. I knew you'd be back. Doesn't do that. This God requires all out celebration. Calls the neighbors, calls the friends. Will not stop celebrating over those who have come home and who are reconciled. That's what God's friendship is like. The story of the prodigal son isn't a story of the reckless excessiveness of the son, it's the excessive, over the top, extravagant love of God. That's what prodigal means. It's the prodigal God that we serve. That's what friendship is like. He's the only friend that is excessive in his love, who's over the top in his love, who's extravagant in his love. That's what heaven is. Heaven is a world of excessive, over-the-top joy. It's a place of celebration because it's a world of restored relationships, starting with God and then extending to one another. Let me tell you something right now. You know, the, the loudest, most joyful music right now is playing in heaven right now because of restored relationships. You may not be able to hear the music because it's being drowned out by a whole lot of stuff in our lives. But it's playing right now. And every time a sinner repents, every single time that music gets louder, it got louder today. It got louder today. And if you're here today and you're coming into the kingdom, you're saying, I'm tired of living life on my own, according to my own rules. I want to experience the love of God the way Alex just described it, to declare my love for him. If you want to come into the kingdom, you can come in because he's inviting you to come in. And when you do, the music is going to get louder in heaven. And and nobody's going to stop the music. Nobody can stop the music. That's what it means. We are loved extravagantly today. Called to embrace that and to live in the joy of that. These next two points are much, much quicker but very significant. Not only are we loved extravagantly, we are called exclusively. Look at verse 14. It's up on the screen behind me. Verse 14 says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing but i've called you friends for all that i have heard from my father i have made known to you notice jesus saying the reason i'm not calling you a servant anymore is because you're in the know servant doesn't know what his master's doing but now you do a servant doesn't know all that he's heard but jesus says listen all that i've heard from my father i'm disclosing to you I'm letting you in on the inside of something very, very special. Servant doesn't have access to that, but sons and daughters and friends do. The servant does not know, but the friends do. This word, friends, is the word philos. It means someone not only who's dearly loved, that's very true, but it's a close confidant. It's someone you would be willing to share your heart with, even your deepest secrets with. You want to know who your friends are? It's it's really not hard to figure out. It's the people who you would consider a confidant that you would share your heart with, share your deepest secrets with. That's why we don't have, you know, 500 deep close friends. We shouldn't. We can't we can't maintain that. We we have a precious handful of close confidence like that. Well, Jesus says, I'm calling you that because I'm sharing my heart with you and I'm inviting you to share your heart with me. That's an exclusive calling. That's what disciples are, exclusively called into relationship with him. On The screens behind me is a verse from Mark 3. Don't miss this. It says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, I imagine if these disciples had a smartphone, they would start taking selfies uh, with themselves and hashtagging it named apostle. Or, hey, check it out. Hashtag authority to cast out demons. Hashtag being sent out to preach. Uh, hashtag, I don't know, appointed, you know. And just taking advantage of all that they're going to do and all that they're going to be. I can imagine that they, they didn't do that, by the way, kids. They didn't have smartphones. I'm just, I'm just uh, playing around here. But I imagine that, that, that he would take their phones away And say, no, listen, the biggest deal here in Mark 3 is that I desire you. That's what verse 13 says. Those whom he desired. Do you know that he desires you? Desire means I want to be in a relationship with you. He desires you. And in case you could easily miss that, verse 14, he appointed 12 What did he appoint them to before he sends them out that they might preach and have authority to cast out demons, which is a big deal to me. Like, authority to cast out demons is really, really big. But what did he first appoint them to? Verse 14 says, so that they might be with him. This is where the power is found. This is where mission is found. Mission is rooted in reconciliation. It never moves beyond friendship with God. It never moves Beyond knowing God in a friend exclusive way, in John seventeen he prayed this, He says, "This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing Jesus as a friend and him knowing you. I was watching this clip the other day of a, a paparazzi following around Justin Bieber. okay. And this Justin Bieber is taking a walk, and this paparazzi guy is just taking like a thousand pictures. Just, <laughs> and he's just walking up down the sidewalk. <laughs> I'm like, if you think you got it, I think you got the picture, right? And he just keeps on taking this picture. And then he goes for a walk, and then he comes back, and I, th- I guess he just abandoned the idea of, of, of going for a walk. And uh, this, guy, this guy on the camera, it's all on film, is he, keep, he starts asking, talks to Justin Bieber like they're friends. He's like, hey, hey, uh, hey, hey, Justin, how you doing, buddy? Hey, man. Hey, how was hiking? How was hiking, buddy? How, how was it? How, how was it? Did you have a good time? Was it good? How was hiking, buddy? And then he's trying to get into his car, and he's like, hey, hey, Justin, how you like your new truck? Hey, man. Hey, Justin, how you like your new truck? Finally, he just had enough, and he's like, uh, bro, you know, Shut up, is basically what he said. Uh, sorry, parents. Uh, that's what he said. Shut up. He says, uh, I just came back from a hike. You don't want to chat like we're boys. It's like, we're not friends. He just states the obvious to this pop He doesn't even phase. The guy's just like, oh, sorry, sorry, man. Hey, I like your hat, though. It's like, come on, man. You're not friends. You might be a fan. But you're not a friend. And a fan is not the same thing as a friend. Jesus gave strong warnings to assume friendship when you're just a fan. He said, uh, he said this. There's going to be people one day that say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many mighty works in your name? We, we used your name a lot. And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I Never knew you. You were a fan, but you weren't a friend. You could say, Well, how do I know if I'm a friend and not a fan? Well, look at verse 14. Let's put verse 14 back up there. He says, You're my friends if you do what I command you. If you hear my words, I'm disclosing myself, I'm disclosing my heart to you. And if you'll lean into my words, And simply do what I command. You can have confidence that you're a friend. Well, what does he command? Well, if you just scroll back up to John 15 at the beginning, he says, this is my command that you abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me for apart from me, you can do nothing. Come to me, rest in me the way a a tiny little branch has no life unless it totally trusts divine. He says, that's, that's, that's what you're commanded to do. That's what friendship is. And that's how you can have confidence that you're in Christ is if you do that. We saw last week, Matthew 11, Jesus says, here's my command. Come to me, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Yes, that means tired from our, our, all of our activities, but it means the religiously tired. You're trying to get acceptance with God based off your work, your performance. He says, stop all that and come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Exchange something here. That's what friends do. He says, I'm going to exchange something in this exclusive reconciled relationship. I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. You're going to find rest for your souls if you come to me. And here's a promise. If you come to him, he will never cast you out. That's a promise for somebody who's never come. If God's calling you to come for the very first time, you need to know if you do, he's not going to cast you out. And if you came a while back, and it's been a little while... And you're worried that he's going to cast you out. Jesus says, I'll never cast you out if you come to me for rest. If you come to me for life and sustenance and friendship and reconciliation, I will not cast you out. That invitation is to everyone, and it's an invitation for every day. So we're called exclusively. Let's rejoice in that. Let's rejoice in that. The last thing is that we are sent purposefully. Sent purposefully. Look at verse 16. He says, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is really important. Now, I could really end this sermon altogether here by just saying, Jesus gives us a mission to go and bear fruit and notice your fruit should abide and remain. And that'd be super hopeful because we do a lot of things in our lives that don't remain. Jesus says, if you go and bear fruit in the kingdom, your fruit's gonna abide forever. I mean, he even made a statement like this. He says, whoever gives one of these little ones, he's talking about kids, even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Jesus sees everything, notices everything, and rewards even a cup of cold water. You could even, you know, use a cup of chocolate pudding at VBS uh, in there and know that if you gave that out uh, because you're a disciple, you're not going to lose your reward, Jesus says. So that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But it's not just that We're called to go and bear fruit, and then our fruit should abide. We're given, notice the context, an intimate friendship first. I chose you. See that? Before I called you to go do something, I called you to be with me. I chose you. And that leads to a mission from a king. I've appointed you. That's what kings do. Don't lose that concept. He's a king who's appointing us to go and bear fruit. But that all leads back to an intimate friendship, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give to you. That's relational language. Coming back to the Father again and again and again, asking him to do what only he can do. So he commands as a king, but he commands always lead back to friendship. And that's summarized in verse 17. These things I command you, why? So that you'll love one another. It's constant reconciliation with God. And one another. The last thing I want to show is one more slide, and it comes again from Drew Hunter in his book Made for Friendship. It's a great summer read. He says this: Why does he tell his friends to obey him? Because even though he calls us friends, he remains the king. He's not a king or companion. He is both. When we see Jesus as both of these at the same time, not awkwardly alternating between them at different moments, but trusting Jesus as both exalted king and intimate friend, it kindles worship in our hearts. If we only consider Jesus as one of these, it's like trying to keep the fire of our hearts lit with only one isolated log. But when we bring both of these together, placing one log on another, the fire burns hotter and brighter. And I believe that's, that's the invitation today, to surrender our lives to Jesus as king and friend. And let the, let the truth of that, like logs on a fire, cause something to, stir in us, that burns hotter, that burns brighter. The Lord's been doing something these past couple of weeks, and I believe He's extending even this Sunday, to reconnect us to the triune love of God. And I believe he's restoring hope and restoring joy and restoring a vision for us in these days. And I believe he's calling us to experience him in that new way. And it's an invitation to surrender into it and to trust him, to take him at his word. So will you stand with me as we're going to head into a time of singing now. Let's pray together. And I just want to invite the Lord to continue that good work in our hearts. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.